Most people think that Christian fiction must avoid unclean content like sex, violence, and bad language. But in fact, many of these stories have often pushed these limits. We know of a few books right now that are experimenting, so just in time for Independence Day in the United States, we will ask, should these stories make very free to show their characters a cussin' and a fightin'? Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the free podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. And I'm Stephen, E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher and co-author of The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell, and we have a clean rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, which means we don't cuss, but apparently you do get to say one or two cuss words per episode and still keep that clean rating. So keep listening and find the cuss word as an Easter egg. And this is episode 169, Should Christian Stories Feel Free to Show Cussing and Fighting? He's kidding. He's kidding, everybody. (laughs) Faithful listeners, real Christians, serious spiritual Christians never cuss, and we never do a violence, and we're never going to drop a cuss word in here if we can help it. I've seen it. I've heard a few mild vulgarities here and there, but if a guest were to say something like that, we would just, uh, you know, delete that in post-production and then secretly question their salvation, (laughs) actually. Uh, We'd wander away going, is that person even a Christian? So, okay, I guess that's an early concession stand. It's the 4th of July, y'all. Happy freedom. Happy America. Even if you're Canadian, we're getting out the hot dogs and the sparklers and all kinds of things and hoping to use them like cussing and violence if they must be used responsibly. So that is my first concession there is that, uh, yeah, we're not we're not going to put any cuss words into this show. Yeah. And we obviously never have cuss words in the title. In fact, those those would actually get censored out automatically. Uh, Apple doesn't allow that. And yeah, we we don't really ever use cuss words. So anyway, but we are going to be talking all things profanity and blasphemy and violent today because those are big topics when you go to read a book. Stephen, I was just looking through several Christian publishing websites and the kinds of restrictions they have on their books. And quite a few of them said over and over and over again, this is clean fiction. There is no cussing in these books. There's no graphic this or explicit that. So we do not allow it. And, you know, it's good to see that. It's good to see that kind of clarity from Christian publishers. Like, first of all, these are our boundaries and this is what we, this is what we take and this is what we don't take. You don't really get that from general market publishers. It's just kind of anything goes. But of course, they do have other restrictions, uh, much more politically aligned uh, restrictions. And so everyone's kind of got their boundaries just in different ways. But yes, this is a perennial topic among the Christian writer community. How much of this can you put in a Christian book? And among, of course, Christian readers, the uh, fans of this show, uh, it's still a topic as well. A lot of them are looking for what you would call clean fiction, which is uh, fiction with certain content restrictions. And as you said, Zach, like it's not a matter of whether the book has those restrictions that went into the making of the book. It's a matter of what those restrictions are. Uh, one of those publishers uh, that has some limits and quality standards is our top sponsor, Enclave Publishing. They're once again featuring Estuary the first book in the new Oceans of Time series by Lisa T. Berggren, in which history major Luciana Bettarini takes a summer job alongside her twin, Domenico, as a period actor at Costello Forelli in Italy. As incoming college seniors, this might be their last chance to spend meaningful time together, so she's soaking up every minute. 
But when Nico's theory that their lost Bedarini relatives have traveled through time becomes potentially real and they might be able to follow, Lucci fears they'll be forever divided. Return to the world first explored in Lisa T. Berggren's best-selling Rivers of Time series in Estuary, book one of the Oceans of Time series, which is now available wherever fantastic books are sold. That's available from Enclave Publishing and also available in audiobook from Oasis Audio. All the links for this and our other sponsors are in the show notes for episode 169 or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. So, Zach, I think we were just enjoying some pasta uh, in a charming uh, sidewalk cafe, uh, but now it's America time and we're going to get out the burgers and the steaks. And because you and I both live in Texas, there's going to be some Tex-Mex food sneaked in there as well. Where our concession stand, the barbecue is on, the potato chip bags are opened, and it's uh, mostly fragments in there. But here's some whole thoughts, so just some concessions so you know what to expect going into a potentially thorny topic. This episode does serve as a sort of incidental sequel uh, to episode 120, which I did last year all by myself, a rare Steven Solo show about freedom and Galatians 513. We'll try to recap that a little bit at the start here. Uh, but uh, definitely go and get that episode leading into this one. Also, I think we will focus. There's kind of a, a trio there of uh, content issues, which is cussing and fighting uh, and the sex stuff. Uh, we're not going to talk about the sex stuff anymore. Frankly, I had about enough of that uh, throughout the month of June in comparison to some of that. What cussing and June? fighting sound downright I'm, wholesome. I was in a cave. I think what, what absolutely unrestrained uh, arrogance and um, a desire <laughs> to be like the most or, high. No, no. Uh, gluttony month is. Wrath. Uh, well, actually, it's gluttony month may be July, uh, especially yeah. <laughs> for that picnic outdoors. Yep. Wrath that's, may be that's September. Thanksgiving, I think. I yeah. forget. Which one is uh, feet that are quick to rush into evil? Um, not sure which <laughs> month that is. Anyway, as I said, we're not going to talk about that stuff. We have plenty <laughs> of episodes about that. I'm getting a little tired of it, frankly. It's just on and on all the time. Whatever happened to good old fashioned uh, cussing and fighting. So we'll touch on that. And although we'll also touch on, you know, the stuff you see on TV or in the movies. Uh, I think we will focus here as best we can on written fiction. So uh, this is an issue of stuff you're seeing on a page and therefore participating in, in a sense, because it's going on in your imagination based on what the page is giving you. Uh, it's not just being acted out in front of your eyes by other people. Uh, some people actually do better with that, and some people do worse with that when you can actually see that. So it is a difference in personality. Also, Zach, I think that a lot of people, whenever you talk about a cussing of fighting, especially uh, Christians, you're instantly put in the frame of we must protect the children. I also want to protect the children. Uh, they don't need to see any of that before they're ready, but emphasis on the whole before they're ready. Uh, maybe your child needs to go into a career where there's going to be some violence. And certainly at these days, all careers are going to be exposed to some cussing. Are they going to be a cussing and doing violence for bad reasons themselves? That's another issue. Can stories help with that? Maybe, maybe not. But I am going to clear the table of that. Uh, I have a whole book about that, the pop culture parent uh, that we may talk about later. Uh, that is more about uh, how you talk about this stuff with the kids and uh, help them get ready for material like that that they're going to confront in real life. But we don't want to skip over the individual emphasis, Zach. You know, this is about my holiness as an adult Christian and your holiness and our faithful listeners' holiness and their growth to be like Christ. Uh, not just their role as the big tough heroes uh, that either protect the kids from uh, these rules against the things or against the things uh, itself. I think that all of us, though, I implicitly agree uh, that, yeah, the kids don't need to see what the adults maybe 
could see, might have freedom in Christ to see. We'll find out. But we ought not pretend, as I think some Christians do, that this issue is only about those poor kids or the vulnerable people out there. Finally, uh, we did have some roundtable discussions with uh, Christian authors uh, back in the early Lorehaven print days. Uh, we had one called Engaging Fictional Violence in Our Real Worlds and Engaging That Bleepity Bleep That Our Stories Often Say. We'll get those links up there, but that's a great way to dive deep. Uh, chances are, if we didn't say your favorite point about the subject in this episode, someone said that in one of those two roundtable talks. Well, and Stephen, another episode we have done uh, similar to this one was way back in the 2020 uh, black hole year. <laughs> it was episode 19, How Do Christian Authors Stay Sensitive About Grittier Than PG-13 Content? And this was actually a panel from the Realm Makers Conference and it involved uh, novelist Terry Brooks, Brent Weeks, Robert Liparulo, C.W. Breyer, and you yourself, Stephen. And that was kind of a uh, similar topic about swear words, violence, sexual content, you know, all the, the big three that get you all the ratings and the uh, cancellations. But this was more about how authors approach this in their own books. Uh, today, we're going to be talking more about the reader angle. And, you know, Stephen, what got me thinking about this angle was, you know, you, you talked about the issue of uh, parents trying to find things for their kids that are safe to read. I mean, we go through this all the time in my family. Whenever Naomi takes the kids to the library, whenever I want to get them a book. But there was a Facebook group I was in recently where someone brought up a beloved Christian novel and took a screenshot of a page with a with a bad word on it and said, What? I you know, they they were so confused by this. They thought, isn't this a Christian author? What why is this there? I had no idea. Uh I was not expecting that when reading this with my family. Uh, so again, not looking at it from this abstract author perspective, but like, whoa, I didn't know my kid was going to read this word. And Stephen, I had a similar experience when I was reading uh, that hideous strength uh, for the first time as an adult just a couple years ago. Uh, I was pretty surprised by the amount of language that appeared in that book from C.S. Lewis. Uh, it did not, uh, it, I don't think he had language in the first two books, uh, Out of the Silent Planet and Paralandra. There was something a little different about that book. Uh, and I, I really had to think about that. Like, why, why does this make me so uncomfortable when I read plenty of general market fiction with a lot worse stuff? And I mean, you read, my goodness, the, the one my, uh, that Naomi put down was uh, Andy Weir's The Martian. I think it had an uh, F word about every 10 words or something. Yeah, it got a bit exorbitant. He, he <laughs> fixed that, though, in Project Hail Mary. Uh, the yeah. main character is actually fairly allergic to that kind of I language. I noticed that. Yes, yeah. it, it's a wonderful corrective. And it's not <laughs> only that, but it's, it's explained in-universe. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, because he turns out to be like a, a teacher, a, a middle school teacher. Yes, yeah. who is unusually skilled uh, with uh, biology and yeah. sciencey stuff. So. He's used to keeping his language clean for the kids, and and that's why we like him. Uh, we we like him a lot. Yeah, and you know, it's not just Christian readers who look for this sort of thing. There are a lot of just regular general market readers yes. who care about this. And I've seen general market publishers respond to this in interesting ways. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had Becky Dean join us on the podcast, and she mentioned one of her favorite series is the Illuminae Files, which I have on my shelf right next to me, and. 
the Illuminate Files, it's, it's this really interesting type of book. It's sort of like this collection of reports and transcripts and surveillance video descriptions. And so, so everything is like an after the fact kind of recreation of these events that happen on the spaceship and whatnot. And so because of that, a lot of things have been censored, both because some evil megacorp gets a hold of this and intercepts some things and they don't want certain facts to get out, but also because they're presenting this in like a court of law or whatever. And so they have to kind of clean it up. And so a lot of the, the bad language gets, you know, blacked out, gets redacted. And I thought that was a pretty clever way of trying to make this, you know, PG 13, uh, or, or less even, uh, for a lot of the young readers that read it. And as far as I know, that's not a Christian author or publisher that did this, but I thought that was an interesting approach. And so I, I actually appreciated that. And I'm like, okay, I feel a little more comfortable with, with my teens reading this. Well, that's an important concession because it's not just fuddy duddy Christians who want to stick their heads in the sand and not deal with the real world, uh, who want something called clean fiction. It's a lot of people, uh, religious people or people who would describe themselves as not being religious. Some of them just don't want to see that stuff explicit on the page. I would say, too, that I think, uh, I mean, I know we're lingering over long in the picnic here for the concession stand, but I think that a lot of people are perfectly okay with fiction recognizing that people do bad things, they do violence, they do a bad word. It's just an issue of how much should you show on the page. So it's not so much, oh, that bad legalist just doesn't want to admit what reality is. It's simply a matter of taste and a matter of conviction and a matter of people actually trying to guard themselves against things to which they're sensitive. So I think we ought to be sensitive to that desire as we've tried to be uh, at Lorehaven all the time and not just immediately hit someone with the legalist level. By the way, Zach, you mentioned that story that someone had a question about. It's perfectly reasonable to ask why uh, Series X uh, would be allowed to have bad words in there, even if it's a children's fantasy series by a beloved uh, British Oxford-type author, for example. How come he gets to have some cuss words in there just because he spells them all whimsical and British-like, but a modern (laughs) Christian novel doesn't? Well, he spells them all whimsical and British-like, so that makes it cute uh, instead of nasty. Also, he's dead, so he's good and safe. Uh, But those books also, by the way, have representation of violence. For example, book two, Prince Caspian, uh, near the end of the chapter, Peter swung to face Sepespian, slashed his legs from under him, and with the back cut of the same stroke, walloped off his head. Completely obvious what just happened there. Uh, You don't get explicit descriptions. You don't get a TV show showing you stuff spraying or whatever. Uh, It's a pretty clean cut, but there's no doubt whatsoever about how King Peter the Majestic, uh, King Peter the Magnificent, rather, uh, dispatched this foe. Can Christian books show this? We'll get into that more in chapter two about story violence. Let's uh, let's go to chapter one, though. What does the Bible say about Christian freedom? So this is the speed run through uh, my last episode there. Our guiding verse here is going to be one of my favorites. It's in Galatians 5. Uh, in the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul storms into a church that has been taken captive by super apostles who are saying that, of course, of course, if you're a Gentile, you can be a Christian, but the really serious super Christians are also going to follow these rules. The Apostle Paul says, I'm astonished that you've gotten uh, hoodwinked by this. Uh, Who has bewitched you? Uh, This is ridiculous. If you have fulfilled the law, why in the world would you go back to it? Uh, Christ will set you free. And then in uh, chapter 5, verse 13, uh, by the way, after saying something really drastic in verse 12, you can look that up yourselves. 
the Apostle Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So the Apostle Paul really zeroes in on the point of freedom there. He doesn't just say, wow, legalism is bad. These false teachers are abusing you. You're free. Go enjoy yourselves all for the glory of God. Uh, The Apostle Paul does check himself, as he does throughout all of his writings, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he says, do not use your freedom. (gasps) The Apostle Paul, such a legalist. What's going on? Why are you telling? Why are you setting up this rule? It's not a rule. This is what freedom is. Uh, You were a captive by sin that made you a slave to sin. And now you are, as it were, a slave or a bondservant to righteousness. As the old song says, you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord. I'm going to go with the Lord who has actually set us free to do what freedom is for, to enjoy God and glorify him forever as we become more like Jesus. By the way, going to be spending a lot of time in Galatians over the next few weeks uh, because I've been recruited to start a Galatians study at my church. So faithful listeners, please pray about that one uh, and and pray that we'll get this one right too. Uh, and just all throughout Lorehaven, it's a constant, uh, constant struggle. As uh, like I, for example, I will say that it's a constant struggle for me because I tend to err on either side, actually. <laughs> we'll kind of go back and forth. Uh, and I don't want to do that. Like if there's violence or bad words in something I'm reading, I don't want this to tempt me toward a sinful use of those things themselves in my real life. And so that's another struggle there. Uh, when does the fictional example, well, the character did it, not me. But when does the reader then catch that? But when do I personally catch hold of a bad word and then start using this in anger? Uh, The Apostle Paul definitely opposes that kind of thing. But here in Galatians, he doesn't want to just fix one issue. Uh, He he doesn't pick up his grace hammer and then whack at all the legalisms. Uh, The Apostle Paul wants Jesus himself. And that's the whole point of any good rule or good freedom is the service of Christ and the service of our neighbors in love. And that's the point of this text, and we'll carry that into the next two topics. So I think at the heart of what we're asking here is, what kinds of stories can you listen to within freedom, but that you have to do so carefully? Okay, so we're, we're talking about the stories that we read in fiction. Um, and some people will say, well, what's the big deal about reading a story um, I hear my coworkers or neighbors tell their own stories that are full of R-rated content, both in how they tell them and what they're talking about. And, you know, that doesn't make me go out and do those same kinds of sins. So what's the big deal about reading these stories? Well, it's a fair question, I, I think. You know, we are in the world, although we're not supposed to be of the world. And so, and, and especially if you have any kind of evangelistic missional impulse you want to be around people that are unsaved you want to bring light into dark places okay so can we make an argument that reading a book with pg-13 r-rated content is doing that in some way that's where it gets a little dicier you know Stephen. Yeah, I have, I have some thoughts, but uh, what, what's your initial response to that question? Well, that may be another concession stand where we're just uh, really feasting on celebration of freedom here in America. <laughs> um, but back when I was doing a lot more of the pop culture engagement type articles, I still do those, of course, but this was a hazard. Uh, I saw this at mainstream Christian publications and websites where they would watch like an, a really 
brutally exploitative Scorsese movie, for example. I don't mind saying this because I very much disagree with it. There was a there was a bad review, just a a, a poorly argued um, sub Christian review at Christianity Today of a Martin Scorsese movie that was, by all accounts, even uh, even worldly accounts, sexually exploitative in order to show how bad capitalism was or something like that. Um, the Christian movie review didn't even comment on this. Uh, it just talked about the movie's art, artsiness and such. I mean, yes, there was cuss words in there. I don't know whether there was violence, but there was certainly sexual exploitation. Um, you as a Christian cannot ignore that. That's sentimentalism. Uh, we talked about that as a threat to stories a few episodes ago. If the manufacturing of the movie uh, or of the book, I would say, involves some kind of sin, you're duty-bound to call that out. Absolutely duty bound to call that out, uh, and I don't know why. Then you would get mad about Christians who want to sweep, uh, you know, certain abusive spiritual situations under the rug at that bad mega church on the West Coast, uh, and then you just sweep the movie sins under the rug. Like, yep. do don't do the whole thing where you punch church uh, and coddle secularism. Yeah. yeah, don't punch church, coddle culture. I like that. There's more alliterative there. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. Uh, we've got to discern these things wherever they pop up. That is a really unfortunate trend, and I, I think it really bears highlighting more often is that a lot of Christian publications are give way too much of the benefit of the doubt to secular culture and hold the church's feet to the fire way beyond what's warranted. And, and I, I just don't understand this sometimes. Like, like you said, if we're going to call out abuse within the church, let's call out abuse everywhere. You know, what, what's, what's the problem? Who are we trying to impress? Anyway, that, that's a whole other episode. You know, what I would say, though, about stories, it's different to hear a story from a neighbor or a coworker than it is to enter a story by reading or watching, you know, fiction. When you enter a story by reading a book, you start to empathize. You, you enter the head and the feelings of that character. You know, in a sense, you become that character. What, what's that C.S. Lewis quote? I became a thousand men uh, through, through reading fiction. And so that's where, as Paul says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. It's, it's really easy to say, well, it's just a book. It's just a story. It's not real. Okay. But the thing is you're activating your imagination. And so if, if you're not careful, and so, you know, back to that, that, uh, that parent review I mentioned earlier about the classic Christian fantasy book with a bad word in it. Look, I get that impulse. I, I don't agree with it in this case, but I get that impulse because once you enter in that story yourself, you put on those characteristics of that character, including possibly the bad language. You might, I mean, what do our kids do all that? What, what do all kids do? They repeat the stories they've seen. My kids right now, as we record this, they're playing Paw Patrol or they're sorry, they're watching my kids as we record this right now, are watching Paw Patrol. As soon as we get done, the TV comes off. What do they do? They get their Paw Patrol characters, and they kind of reenact what they've watched on television. And we're fine with this. Paw Patrol is pretty wholesome. And so you expose kids to things with a lot of content, they're going to act out that just because they're replaying it in their minds. Now, as adults, we don't necessarily do that, right? We separate ourselves. But do we, though? This is where it gets blurry, right? Right. You're... Um, your emotions and your your sympathies go out to characters that that commit whatever actions they do. 
you see this happening on social media. That person's story is about my story. I, yes. I saw a, a Christian uh, publishing editor who had a really solid take about the whole shiny, happy people documentary. He had just written an article saying, you are not the Duggars. The Duggars are not you. The Duggars are the Duggars. Uh, and in short, his point was, don't overdo the empathy, you guys. You know, even among their culture, they were a curiosity. That's why they got on TV. Their story is not yours. Uh, keep those disciplines on your imagination and don't just cast your narrative or your friend's narrative or all of American evangelicals uh, into this one TV family that had a lot of issues with the kinds of things the Apostle Paul would have condemned, frankly. Yeah, and you're right. It really does come down to your empathy and kind of keeping some guardrails on it. I mean, uh, the scripture says, above all else, guard your heart. Yeah, you give your heart away to a character in a story too fully or too easily, you're going to start sympathizing with all of the bad choices they make and start to justify those same choices in your own life or in others' life. Now, again, it's this is not a one-to-one. It's not you're going to read a character, you're going to read a murder mystery or something and go murder people or whatever. But it, it does, there is a sense in which you have to be careful because it lowers your defenses. Um, the classic example uh, a lot of people talk about is the TV show Friends. So I remember when this came out when I was growing up, uh, a lot of my friends watched it. I, I watched it off and on. I just didn't really like it all that much, but I, I watched enough of it to get the idea. And these are people living with basically no restrictions on, you know, sexual promiscuity. And there's also no consequences for those decisions. Uh, no one ever gets pregnant. As far as I know, no one ever gets any kind of sexually transmitted disease. As far as I remember, um, there's really not even that much emotional fallout. I mean, there's the usual kind of relational drama, but there's really no consequence at all to their actions in the show. And so that starts discipling people in this idea that that you can go and do likewise without any consequence. Or, okay, you know, some some Christians will say, well, I'm not going to do that. Okay, but are are you holding your friends accountable who are falling into that? You know, or again, has that show sort of blunted your own reflexes and your own discernment such that you can't call it out in the lives of your brothers and sisters, because that's what it means to be in the church is that we, we look out for one another, not that we judge each other and and condemn each other, but that we lovingly confront our, our fellow believers and say, Hey, watch out. Like this is dangerous what you're doing. So, and, and that goes for all the different categories we're talking about today. So that, you know, that's the danger of, of fiction. That, that's the power of fiction, too, is that you can empathize with a very heroic character, a sacrificial character, a noble character, a virtuous character. My point is just that it's a double-edged sword. You know, do you have freedom? Sure. Just don't use that freedom for an opportunity for the flesh. Right. And do use that freedom to glorify Jesus and serve one another. It goes vertical uh, to God, uh, to Christ, uh, and then horizontal to people around us. And then I would say it also goes down. Uh, You are respecting the creation on which God has placed us. So those three different directions really help, I think, to understand not just why we should avoid a thing, uh, but what we are actually for, what our freedom is actually for. Zach, I'm glad you mentioned earlier that word consequence. We're going to go back to that as we go into chapters two and three. First, though, if you're a parent or legal guardian uh, and Zach's discussion about kids uh, made you think, well, what about the kids then? How do we train them for these things? Like, how can they understand 
the consequences of a cussing and a fighting and other things like that in fiction and in reality, uh, and then grow to be more like Christ despite these things. Well, then sponsor two is for you. It's returning champion, the pop culture parent co-authored by yours truly, as well as my friends, Ted Journeau and Jared Moore. Uh, this book takes a different approach toward training kids to discern the stories and songs that people make. Our world is full of them. They are a mess. Uh, they are a messy mixture of idols and common graces all at the same time because God has given humans the ability to make these stories originally for his glory. But in sin, people take the gift away from God and say, this is mine now. And now your kids have got to deal with it. There's no way you can keep these stories and songs out of your house. You need to start training them to ask our top five questions that we offer in this book, uh, not just to analyze the constituent parts of a story, but to understand the story on its own terms, not just to find the bad words or violence or anything else in the story, but to understand the idols that the story is tempting your kids, the stuff that the story thinks is good, uh, that is actually bad apart from Jesus. And then we take all that and we say, okay, now in comes the hero, Jesus Christ. How does he better explain the stuff going on in the story? How does he fulfill the story's good hopes better than the story ever could? We apply these then to young children and older children and then teenagers so that they are growing up toward adulthood, able to engage this stuff on their own. That's The Pop Culture Parent by yours truly, Ted Turneau and Jared Moore. Our friends at New Growth Press published that a few years ago, so you'll find that link in the show notes as well. Zach, chapter two. Again, we're, we're going to put the kids in the other room watching Paw Patrol. It's just us grownups in here, very wise, very mature. So we're completely equipped to answer, how may the Bible treat issues of story violence? Okay, so what do we mean by story violence? So just war and how to be a better Christian cop and things like that. That's another podcast. And that's a very manly podcast out there somewhere. Uh, with some muscular guy behind the microphone. <laughs> uh, we're describing this as violent acts in a visual or written work of fiction. So, of course, we're going to emphasize, though, a written work of fiction. And this is the part where I, I, I issue a bit of a challenge to some Christian fans that I've seen uh, who will do what I called in episode 120, the why can't I defense? Well, why can't I enjoy violence in the story? Why shouldn't I? And you kind of get this little fist-waving effect in the air. Uh, it's the little kid uh, wondering why in the world he has to go to bed uh, on time right now. Why can't I stay up late? Uh, you guys get to stay up late. Uh, I think that this is an accidental tip of the hand of immaturity. Because as we've already seen in uh, Galatians 5.13, the Apostle Paul doesn't encourage that question. You don't ask, why can't I use my freedom as an opportunity for the flesh? The Apostle Paul says, you can and should use your freedom to glorify Jesus and serve one another. So that's the framing device here. Does the violence in a story, the fictional violence, help us better glorify Jesus and serve one another? And I would say that your word there, Zach, earlier, consequence is a big part of that. In the real world, almost always, some people will try to you know, nerf reality uh, with enabling laws or uh, some kind of bad view of pacifism. But most of the time, violence in the real world brings consequence from the law, from somebody punching you back. Maybe you invade a country and then suddenly you end up in a quagmire, like, you know, mess around and find out, as the kids say, because I didn't want to uh, drop that word that we promised, right? <laughs> <laughs> there was your Easter egg, uh, folks. 
There it is. There it is. It just came up. It's the 4th of July, but you get an Easter egg. Uh, Story violence, though, can cheat even more than real world violence, because if it is a bad story with exploitative violence or casual flippant violence, then you, like the uh, writers of the TV show Friends, can cheat on the consequences. You don't have to show consequences. Uh, Action hero Z can just mow down uh, a bunch of other killers. Uh, in the story, and the cops are nowhere near. Uh, the killers aren't actually going to uh, shoot back and hit their marks because they're like stormtroopers from Star Wars. Uh, they can't hit anything because he's the star of the show. Whereas I think a more realistic story, a more Christian worldview story, will show this violence not only as a consequence, but inviting consequence. Uh, you don't get Wiley e. Coyote dropping off the cliff and then jumping back up in a comical accordion shape. Uh, that's over the top, by the way. We distance ourselves from that. We know it's a parody of real violence. We all know that wouldn't actually happen. But do we, in a story that's meant for mature, wise adults, also know that there's real consequences? Um, I can't get into the movies too much here because we're going to talk only about books. But I increasingly, Zach, have major issues with movies that show consequence-free violence. I actually do believe that that's a moral issue. Uh, and if there's any threat of me going legalistic on this, it would probably be about those flippant super caper or action hero movies uh, that just do not show the consequence of the violence. And I think we can talk more strongly about consequences uh, in terms of violence because it's so visceral and so immediate. And we may have to do a little bit more uh, heavy lifting there when it comes to applying consequences to cussing. But cussing also has consequences. We'll get to that in chapter three. Mm-hmm. One thing, though, that I do hear, Zach, I'm curious, I'll, I'll pitch this to you. Do you hear Christian fans say, well, the Bible shows violence, so why shouldn't our fiction show violence? Like, yeah, we can go to Judges 19, where somebody's getting cut up, and uh, we can go to this over here with whatever happened with the Amalekites, and this over there that's absolutely disgusting with all those poor Philistines. Well, the Bible shows it. Why can't I? Uh, so long as you're not an edgelord internet atheist, uh, that's not going to bother you. Uh, they pretend to be bothered, but they're not really. They just want to own the Christians. But what have you heard people say, like where they try to defend the story of violence just because, well, the Bible does it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting here. We we may come to slightly different perspectives on this uh, because, yeah, I, I was thinking earlier, actually, of the story of David and Goliath. So everyone grows up hearing this. If you go to church, you know, David takes three stones. He uses just one, hits him in the head. He falls over. And then, and then you then grow up off his head. Yeah. And you, you learn more of the details. So first of all, <laughs> the stone didn't just bounce off his head. It sunk into his forehead. Okay. So Goliath has a hole in his head from that stone. And then secondly, David jumps on top of him with the sword and, and, and cuts his head off. So, you know, it's only one sentence that it gives to this in first Samuel 17. It, it doesn't say a whole lot. So all it says is verse 51, after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. That's it. We don't get any gory details. You know, we don't get any sensory input. It's just a report basically. And, you know, the other story I think about is King Eglon. <laughs> They're the really fat guy, the job of the hut king in the Bible that gets stabbed by the left-handed assassin. Surprise. And then what does it say? That he's so fat that his belly kind of rolled over the knife. And buried it inside him even more. So, wow. Okay. There that's was a, entrails. Yes. That, that, that's a little more graphic. Okay. Again, Bible story. I'm not embellishing anything, but the Bible also doesn't embellish this stuff too much. 
there are some crazy stories that it, again, it uses very minimalist language, but you start to think about it. You're like, whoa, that was intense. You mentioned the uh, incident with the Philistines. <laughs> um, I, I think of the story of uh, King Herod in Acts, where the people were worshiping him as God. And just because he passively accepted God's glory, an angel struck him dead. So he didn't say, I'm God, give me glory. He just accepted it. So sometimes God exacts vengeance or violence on people. Just immediate judgment smites them. Okay, you could stop there, but that's not all that the Bible says. It says, then he was eaten by worms and died. Now, a lot of people have said, is that a translation error? Like, was did he just die and then he was buried and he was eaten by worms? Well, no, that's not the order the language is put in. Like, it, he was eaten by worms and then he died. So, okay, did the angels strike him with a plague of worms, just like we see a plague of locusts and, and frogs and, you know, in, in the Exodus? I don't really know because we're not given explicit details in the Bible. And so perhaps that is the dividing line, I think, with, with this issue of violence. The Bible absolutely records tons of violence that happens. It doesn't give a lot of graphic detail. Now, that's the difference with fiction, is fiction usually goes into a lot of detail about everything. You get a lot of sensory detail. You get a lot of you know, internal thinking from a character uh, about what's going on. You, you, you slow down the time. You know, the Bible is pretty rapid pace for all, all that it covers, but you know, it's there. So what is the Christian reader supposed to think about a, a, a novel that goes into a lot of detail? It's like, well, okay, that those same things happen in the Bible, but was it, was it said that explicitly? Stephen, you asked the question, why can't I enjoy? And maybe that's getting more to the heart of the issue here. Do I enjoy stories of people's, you know, suffering a lot of violence, we'll just say, explosions, stabbings, shootings, and, and whatnot. I, I don't really enjoy it. I enjoy victory. I enjoy, you know, the battle, the fight for good and stuff like that. Do I enjoy uh, the graphic details? I don't think so. Like I was reading a, a Christian sci-fi recently. There's quite a bit of graphic detail. And I'm like, this is, this really surprises me. This is from a Christian publisher. I think that question is right. Like, well, why do you enjoy that? <laughs> why do you enjoy that amount of detail? There was a great article in The Onion, and actually a, a new one from May 15th, 2023. I, I'm very surprised to see something somewhat funny come out of The Onion in today's world. Uh, most of their good stuff was from 10 years ago. <laughs> but the headline was, Gun Owner Spends Another Disappointing Night Without Home Invasion. <laughs> That's pretty good. I mean, come on. I'm a Texan. I'm a Second Amendment yeah. guy. Of course, I lost them all in a boating accident. But we've met but people that's funny. like that, though. <laughs> we, but we have, though. And I think a lot of people have met people like that in, in, in terms of fiction. That They're almost disappointed yeah. if the book doesn't get into all of all of the teensy-weensy, disgusting details. I, I guess behind the Bible question, though, Zach, I think is is a more implicit question. Like, are we obligated as fans to expect of our stories mm. the same level of description of scripture? Because I could go all devil's advocate on you and I could say, well, space is at a premium. You know, the Bible's mm. not about, you know, the, the, the violence. Uh, they didn't have space to describe these things. They weren't there. They didn't need to. But a novel is different. You know, a novel should feel free. There's that word to go into that. And at that point, I would counter with free for what purpose? What is the purpose? I've gone back and forth 
But when I meet someone who's like, yeah, violence, yeah, horror, gore, I'm like, you need Jesus and therapy. And if you've already found Jesus, now you need Jesus-based therapy. You're trying to compensate for something, either some pain uh, in your childhood or some pain that you think was in your childhood that you haven't reconciled, or, or maybe you've just, something's gone wrong on your journey to becoming a redeemed human. I think this goes back to a point I made, uh, I forget which episode, in that I've noticed that a lot of veterans of wars, uh, still some World War II veterans around, Vietnam veterans, like people who've actually fought and seen bloodshed. Mm -hmm. tend to be the least into these kinds of stories. Yep. Uh, in fact, a lot of them go for the sentimentalist, wholesome, clean stuff. They seem to have already been there, done that with the real world violence. Uh, and, you know, maybe they're desensitized to it. Uh, they're not triggered to it all the time, but it's not something they feel like they have to use. Whereas I do see a lot of, all due respect, young whippersnapper Christian fantasy fans uh, who have not been exposed to those things uh, and maybe think that they should. So they're trying to use a cheat code of the fictional violence to gain that real world XP. But the only way to gain that real world XP is, you know, in the real world. Uh, the story's not going to give you that level of maturity. I think it's a false maturity. It's a panacea. Uh, fictional violence or cussing are not an instant maturity injection uh, grown-up people endure those things on the way to becoming more like jesus and serve their neighbors they're not interested in those things for their own sake i don't mean they avoid those things because they're clean as the wind driven snow i mean that those things have consequences and that if people have to do violence or have violence done against them uh, this is something to endure because this is not the chief end of man to fight stuff uh, or to cuss at things and get angry uh, or be all vulgar. The chief end of man is to glorify Jesus and enjoy him forever, which includes freedom for that purpose. So that is, frankly, that is a personal challenge I would issue to someone who's a little bit too much into the violence. And, and then, I, yeah, I would argue maybe based on biblical sanctification, like how's your prayer life? Like, do you want to be more like Jesus or are you just interested in freedom for its own sake? That's a fair question to ask. But I would start with a fiction subjective argument. Like, does that like I wouldn't say, well, the Bible didn't use that detail, so your book shouldn't either. I would just say, does the book really need to use that detail, or is the author just showing off? And if yeah. the author is just showing off, like, hey, I looked up exactly which tendons would do what, and I want you to know that I did my research and I talked to the ER doctors and the trauma specialists, uh, and every bit of that get is getting in there. Like, no, every bit of that is not getting in there. That's amateurish. A better author will keep that in his own supporting documents and then tell you just what you need to know to develop the plot and character in the story itself. And will of course show the consequences. That's the most important thing. Now, one of my favorite fantasy authors, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, is Robert Jordan, author of the wheel of time series. I don't know a whole lot about his faith. You know, a, a Wikipedia search says that he grew up high church Episcopalian received communion more than once a week. I don't know what all he said about his faith. Uh, but he served two tours in Vietnam, and actually there's some pretty wild stories you can read about um, his time in Vietnam and, and what he had to do to fight in the war, which I'm not going to go into. Suffice it to say, he was definitely in combat. And he has a very uh, interesting philosophy about violence and use of force, and uh, this plays out through a lot of his characters 
in that series. I mean, it's a very violent series. It's about this battle for, you know, the fate of the world, good versus evil, light versus shadow. Um, but the, the lines are drawn pretty clear most of the time. And there's a character that he has said that really represents his own philosophy. And that's the character Perrin, one of the three key guys from the two rivers and Perrin, uh, his main, you know, weapon is an ax. And at one point he meets this guy named Elias and basically they, they have to use violence to defend themselves. And, and Perrin wants to throw away his ax. And Elias says to him, this is one of my favorite quotes in the whole series. Elias says, quote, you'll use it boy. And as long as you hate using it, you would use it more wisely than most men would wait. If ever you don't hate it any longer, then will be the time to throw it as far as you can and run the other way. So from what I've been able to find out, this was Robert Jordan's actual philosophy that there is a time and place for weapons, for violence, for self-defense, use of force, just war, whatever you want to say. But if you find yourself loving it, then it's time to throw it away. You shouldn't love these things. You should love life. Uh, you, You shouldn't love death. And so that, that I think is kind of that dividing line of like where you have to guard your heart. Like, are you, are you reading these things because you love the violence? Uh, because you love, you know, even just the, the thrill of a villain getting vanquished, you know, Stephen, there used to be this trope in a lot of movies where the, the hero and the villain would be fighting. Then at the very end, the villain is dangling off a cliff or something and the hero reaches down to save him. And then the villain, you know, tries to get one last swipe in and then that's how he dies, but not by the hero's hand. The, the hero isn't the one ending the, the villain's life, but something has changed in the last 10 or 20 years where the heroes get just as violent. And it, it's kind of a disappointing turn, I think. Uh, again, we, we do see heroes of the Bible using violence at times. I don't always know what to think about that, but I have noticed that that has shifted. And as I've said before, I, th- there are certain violent stories I just, I can't engage with at all. Like in, in usually things dealing with revenge, <laughs> again, back to that onion article. It's like the guy is just wishing someone would break into his house so he could have the excuse to shoot him. It's yeah, like, that's dysfunctional. It, it's a, uh, it, it's a kind of a sick fantasy really. But I, I think that article made a great point that it's like, why do we love these so much? Like, what is that saying about us? And someone who really does believe in the American freedom, because uh, the Constitution does recognize a right to armed self-defense to some extent, uh, someone who truly loves that for good reason uh, is going to laugh at that headline rather than feel attacked. Yeah, uh, I think that, that is a, that's a very pointed headline uh, that, speaking of weapons, uh, just needs to poke sharply. Uh, at uh, at anybody who maybe needs to wince and realize, oh yeah, that's kind of dysfunctional. Uh, Zach, when you were mentioning that uh, Robert Jordan quote you love so much, uh, all Tolkien fans were sitting up and saying, "Hey, we have one of those," <laughs> and it's from Faramir uh, in the Two Towers, uh, who says, "Quote: I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend." End quote. That's beautiful. That is almost Galatians 5.13 applied in uh, the third age of Middle Earth. Uh, (laughs) Faramir fights not because he wants to pillage orcs or or, or destroy things or even get glory uh, in his homeland. He loves, that is his motivation. He loves his homeland. He loves Gondor. 
He loves the line of stewards. Uh, he loves his heritage. He loves his people. And so if we are then to, to an extent, enjoy or endure uh, violence, because every story should have some kind of conflict, and that's going to involve relational violence, if not actual violence, if, if we do put up with that, and I think we should, then it ought to be based on love. And so we're back to Galatians 5.13. Uh, do not use your freedom for story violence as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Speaking of books that serve one another, sponsor three, the Lorehaven Summer Reading Challenge. It's still ongoing. We have piles of recommended books that we have reviewed over the last years at Lorehaven. And Laura McCary put those all together for Lorehaven Summer Reading Challenge that began early last month. If you love Christian-made fantastical fiction and you want something different than what the library, the public library, might offer this summer, this challenge is for you. We want this challenge to bring friends and families together over a shared love of old classics and new favorites. So whether you're a busy young professional looking for beach reads or a student needing summer break reading material or a harried homeschooling mom trying to keep the kids' shelves stocked, Laura Haven has found a story to inspire you. We can't wait to have you join us. So how do you do that? Uh, it's in the Lorehaven Guild, which is our exclusive free community on Discord. And you can join us and be a hero of the guild by going to lorehaven.com slash subscribe. You'll get our email updates, whichever ones you choose, and then an invitation to the guild. If your kids are doing fan art based on the books that we've recommended, uh, share those on our social media. And Laura will put those up uh, kind of a beta test this year. Uh, we will see how it goes, uh, but it's a really great way then to not just avoid stuff in stories, uh, looking for clean fiction that doesn't have things, but find wholesome fiction that does have things that basically understands the purpose of freedom in fiction uh, to glorify Jesus. Lorehaven.com slash subscribe. All right, Zach, uh, we may drop our second or no third. Yeah, no, it'd be the second bad word in here. Just because we're going to talk <laughs> about bad words. We are being so realistic and edgelord here. Chapter three, does the scripture warn us against story cussing? Okay. Hey, this one actually gets a little thornier because it's easier to argue. Well, the Bible shows violence because you can go to Judges or Second Samuel or either of the Chronicles, Chronicles one, Chronicles two. Uh, maybe even two Corinthians. There's some violence in there. It's pretty obvious. But Christians have still debated whether or not there's cussing in Scripture. And if so, whether Scripture gets to get away with it, like C.S. Lewis, uh, while we need to keep our language squeaky clean. So this topic actually calls for some more caution and definitions. I actually wrote a definition earlier about what we mean by story cussing or story language. Fiction that includes either in character dialogue or narrative itself. Any of these elements, offensive words, crude names, vulgarities, or slang that misuses God's names or misuses biblical concepts and phrases. So that's kind of our definition here. We're not so much talking about cussing in real life, but what happens if a character cusses? Uh, is this still wrong? If your eye wanders across the page and you see those four letters all in a row and you hear that word in your head, are you now guilty? Of uh, the Apostle Paul, there he is again. Paul cameos a lot in these podcasts. The Apostle Paul's warnings uh, against a crude talk or unwholesome language. Uh, that's the translation there. The Apostle Paul says, no, just part of loving and serving one another is not feeling free to talk to each other like this. By the way, I feel convicted just saying this. It's a, it's a besetting sin. 
because uh, you like to play around with words and you get worked up about opinions and then suddenly you're talking uh, like a uh, like a worldly person. Ought we not to do this? But I have heard those uh, uh, Christian fans, maybe more than violence, maybe because Christian books actually feel freer to show violence, at least at that kind of biblical sparse level. More of us seem to understand that uh, in, a, in even a good story, that's okay. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Zach, reading, that, reading a Christian-made book from a Christian publisher, like there's some violent descriptions in there, but there's no bad words. And yet we hear Christian fans all the time say, well, why don't we have bad words? Why shouldn't we have bad words? So I'm actually going to pitch that to you. Like, why do we then, are, are we not hypocritical by our stories allowing more violence, but then saying, oh, oh we, we, we can't say bleepity bleep. So the issue with profanity is when you read a profane word or you hear it in an audiobook, you're hearing the actual word. Like if you read about violence, there's not actual violence happening. Okay. Audiobook. That's a good point. The yeah. audiobook narrator does need to say that out loud. Mm-hmm. And it, this is sort of the same argument about um, nudity in film and TV. When you see, when that is in a, film you are actually seeing someone without their clothes on so there's no way to you know fake that like you're actually seeing that person that way if that person gets stabbed or shot well they don't actually die that's pretend but then with profanity they're actually saying that word or if you're reading it or hearing it you're actually in inputting that word now I, i think we should be clear though about what the bible says the verses that you mentioned, you know, I think of Ephesians 5.4, warning against coarse joking. Uh, Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Colossians 3.8, put all these away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And even when Jesus says it's not what goes into a man, but what comes out of him, what comes out of the heart, uh, what comes out of the mouth, that's what defiles someone. So there very much is a focus in scripture on not speaking profanity now but what we're talking about in this episode is what about reading it what about hearing it does that defile you well i don't think it's quite the same but there is a guiding principle here stephen which is first corinthians fifteen thirty three: do not be misled bad company corrupts good character now here's what's funny that verse was in my head as we were thinking about this earlier i had to go look it up because immediately for some reason i thought that was proverbs but it's it's the pauline epistle to the Corinthians. Here's what's interesting in that footnote. This comes from the Greek poet Menander. So Paul is quoting a secular non-Christian in the Bible. That's a whole other episode, but that's just kind of fascinating to me at times when that happens. Like it happens in Acts 17, for example. So even the Greeks recognize this, that you hang around people with a certain type of character and you're going to become like them. And so I, I think that's the danger of reading or listening to a lot of profanity is it, it starts to influence you. It's, it starts to become part of the language that you use to think about the world, you know, and, and perhaps the first step is you become a closet cusser. <laughs> this is uh, a term my friend uh, Brad coined like 20 years ago. He's like, this was in some kind of accountability group. He's like, like everyone here speaks in a very clean way, but are you a closet cusser? I thought, oh man, now that now you're meddling. Yeah, that, he's totally that's meddling. Convicting. Yes, yes. <laughs> this very closet, perhaps. When I've had any uh, glitches uh, recording this very show, wow. Uh, now, now I'm a closet confessor. <laughs> and I'm not even a Catholic. There's not another guy on the other side. Well, actually, there is another guy on the other side of the screen. So, bless me, my father. Uh, I have sinned by cussing in this uh, in this very recording studio. 
Yeah, Zach, you mentioned that uh, it, it's different. I mean, we're not going to talk about the naked stuff here, but it is different uh, when you're watching a movie. And yet, even even with a book, if you're describing like a, a situation like that, the author is inviting the reader to participate in the imagination. So it really comes down to reader sensitivity. I would say that most readers, I mean, really, can we make some general statements here? I hope so. Most readers are not going to be as tempted toward violence right. as they are tempted towards a basic sin, an acceptable sin like anger, unrighteous anger, which is often induced or endorsed by the use of these kinds of words. One of my uh, go-tos on this is actually surprising is John Piper. Uh, John Piper, he, he's known for b- being a very bookish uh, sort of uh, Christian, uh, very pastoral, yet very scholarly. Uh, and as a result, just because of his calling and his temperament uh, and his convictions, he's not known for doing a lot of pop culture discernment. And I'm okay with that. But that doesn't mean he's not aware of popular culture. Uh, there's actually a piece at Desiring God uh, back in 2009, why I don't have a television and rarely go to movies. Uh, John Piper actually says, quote, I have a high tolerance for violence, high tolerance for bad language, and zero tolerance for nudity. Mm-hmm. There is a reason for these differences. The violence is make-believe. They don't really mean those bad words. But that lady is really naked, and I am really watching, end quote. Yeah. So that's the difference you just spelled out. You're in great company here. Great company mm-hmm. uh, that, that gives you good morals. I, yeah. I helped John Piper right there. Yes, so, I'm sure he's very grateful. <laughs> but interesting, though, I mean, we've already talked about violence. Now, elsewhere, he says, you know, like you said, these are stuntmen. You know, generally the violence is going on in, you know, writing the script or getting the financing for the movie, especially if you're at the uh, particular Warner Brothers studio. <laughs> Lots of violence going on there. But with the language, Piper says uh, they don't really mean those bad words. Now, this is an opinion that Piper is giving. But he's actually incidentally reflecting uh, the better version of the argument for fiction is that if I'm reading that word on the page, or even if the audiobook narrator is saying it, she doesn't mean it. I don't mean it. The character may have meant it, but could I read that word or hear it in a story context and not sin any more than usual? I would say that for my part, I can, but I've said this before if it's a Bulgarian YouTube commentator, uh, whose whole shtick is getting mad about stuff. That attitude does rub off on me, particularly in a hard day where my imagination is getting out of control. And then suddenly everything seems terrible. Job seems terrible. Uh, I'm, I'm not making progress as much. And, you know, all those woke people are on a rampage and, oh, it just makes me so mad. And now I'm distracting myself from a Christ-like response to these things. Uh, with this disgusting little puny immature anger uh, releasing in the form of juvenile vulgarities. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't help me love my neighbors. That doesn't even help me respond firmly uh, with, with conviction to these issues. I'm responding like a little screaming baby. And that's the kind of stuff I want to avoid. But stories with bad words don't tempt me toward this necessarily. I don't want to see the F-bomb every other page either but mainly for artistic reasons. It's lazy storytelling. And you can say, well, that's how people talk in real life. Like, yeah, you know, people go to the bathroom three times a day too. And you (laughs) don't put that in the book because it has nothing to do with the story. Everybody cuts stuff because it doesn't relate to the main plot and character growth. You know, you used a good phrase there, which is reader sensitivity. And I think that's what a lot of this comes down to in terms of how much of this we should 
feel comfortable reading or listening to. I mentioned The Martian earlier. Naomi could not finish that. Way too much language for her taste. She didn't grow up using a lot of that language. You know, she she was a, a, a much better Christian than me growing up. She was a Christian from a much earlier age. You know, she will say more that- civilized look, age. <laughs> yeah, she, she will say, look, there was a time in middle school where she kind of ran in the circles of, of friends that used a lot more language and that becomes contagious. And then, you know, she kind of walked away from that. For me, it's a little different. I grew up knowing a lot of bad language from very early age, unfortunately. And that was part of my vocabulary. Well, not in the home, maybe not, not around my mom, but around my friends or at school and other activities uh, until probably college and until just the Lord really did a work in me. Like my freshman year of college is when it was just night and day difference and, and all kinds of things that God worked on in my life. Profanity is not really a struggle for me. It's not really part of who I am like it was when I was a teenager or more younger. I'm not as bothered by it just because the Lord has really taken the power of that out of my life. But I think of the verse, 1 Timothy 4, 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. So we need to look at what is changing in our life. Like watch it closely because these kinds of things change in very small increments. Like you mentioned, just the getting angry, right? just the indulging in that anger and then expressing that anger. You know, that that's like a step-by-step process. We have to watch and look for those, those changes, look for the Delta, you know, where, where you go from this to that. You know, I, I think there is some amount of freedom, you know, going back to our first point, you know, Naomi doesn't guilt me about enjoying the Martian <laughs> and I don't pressure her to like it or even watch it or, or read it, you know, I, but I have to keep a close eye on how that's affecting me. Uh, because yeah, that, that is a historic sin for me. So, okay. I could always be tempted back into it. I'm not infallible. And you know, we aren't in our glorified bodies yet, which that's a whole other thing to think about when we're in our glorified bodies, probably not going to cuss. Like, I just don't see that happening. Why after would we Christ want returns. to? Yeah. So why would we do it now? And why would we, but, but you know, now we live in an imperfect world where there is, everything has not been redeemed yet. and. I don't know, Stephen, sometimes I, this is going to sound weird, but sometimes I like to hear cussing because it means that I am around people that still need Christ and I'm not just insulating myself in a Christian bubble. When uh, a, a previous place we lived, we had a neighbor that smoked and he, would, he his wife made him go outside to smoke. And so whenever I would get home from work or something and I would, I would smell cigarette smoke, I'd say, aha, my neighbor is sitting outside. And that's the smell of an evangelism opportunity. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and, and he was very talkative guy. We had tons of great discussions about the Lord and, and many other topics. So whenever I smelled that smoke, I'm like, oh, this is an opportunity to go talk to him. And, uh, I really don't like cigarette smoke at all. I try to avoid it if at all possible, but again, it's that, you know, I, I want to be around people, uh, that, that need gospel truth and that's a, that's an opportunity. And so I, I kind of feel that way with profanity again, where though we're talking about stories where I, I can choose what I read. There, there's no, there's not a real person <laughs> behind these fictional words. It's not like I'm evangelizing a character. So I don't have to, you know, pick up something to enjoy, you know, out of that impulse. But 
in, in some ways it, it kind of helps me be more comfortable around people like this that, that live these kinds of lives. Uh, because again, that's quite a, quite a few of our neighbors, coworkers and friends as they, this is how they live. And so a story helps me be not so freaked out by it. Yeah. That's a really good point is there is a, a bad way, a sinful way to be desensitized. But if you are hypersensitive, then it's simply correct that you're not going to be able to do what our buddy, the apostle Paul says in first Corinthians five, where, where he just assumes that you're going to be in the world among swindlers and drunkards and greedy people, uh, and the sexually immoral and the idolaters, uh, and the cussers, like compared to all of those sins. <laughs> uh, so the, the cussing actually, uh, is just a fruit, not a root. So you're going to need to be prepared to be among those folks in order to fulfill your calling. But you can't skip over personal holiness and training in righteousness to be more like Jesus uh, because my evangelism, uh, that won't do at all. Christians are called to both. So there need to be sacred places or, or more wholesome environments where we train to do these things. And that may involve more wholesome stories in order to be more like Jesus so that we can then go to these places hang out amongst these people and not be too bothered by what they're saying. And that includes fiction. Let's plant this just for a future episode. That's only about the cussing. Uh, this may be more to a one, three, one level stuff. Zach, you mentioned, I just wanted to point this out. You mentioned the word profanity, uh, which if I remember my definitions, right is, I mean, the root of that is profane. You're taking something sacred, something good and making it nasty implicitly with your language and like there's some specific cuss words i'm thinking now that are technically a profanity um abuses of god's title that is god um would technically be blasphemy for example or you're taking his name in vain verbally now i've seen people try to parse out the commandment and say well that's really more about your actions not just what you're saying like what you say is an action it is broader than that but using his name or title in vain is an included but not limited to thing. So uh, you strike out. Uh, you don't get to use those initials in your text messages without mm. falling under the commandments purview. Sorry about that. As for a fictional character, maybe that's different. I don't know. But for my part, I don't want to use God's name in vain ever. I, I, I slip sometimes. I don't like it. But that is like the height of profanity. Uh, God himself is the most sacred of all. Why would we then pretend in our casual flippant language uh, to profane him, uh, to use him so flippantly, his name or title so flippantly? I don't want to do that. Uh, The other term there is vulgarity. And I actually, I would almost defend vulgarity if it wasn't so tied in, like there's various conjugations and, you know, jamming two words together where it's all kind of the same. Because people are constantly trying to find new clever ways uh, to go blue in their language. But a vulgarity is like a word that describes something that's already considered nasty. Uh, Enough said, but it's like, what would they call it? I think some people call it a Saxonism, you know, maybe because it sounds all romantical or British or something. That there, I think, is maybe more excusable but even then i would be extremely extremely careful with that uh even if you don't feel angry saying that because it's so associated with that kind of lifestyle i think we ought to be aware of those stigmas and i would not want to open like any of the books that sponsors lore haven or any of the publishers and see those words in there 
it would just not feel right. That is a um, that is a, a very personal, a creative position there. I can't defend that from scripture, but it just would not sit right. If someone is wanting a story to be more realistic and, and rather than so sentimentalist, then there are other ways to do that. There are cleverer ways to do that. Frank Peretti did that all the time. Lewis did that often. Uh, you can get there. You can get the realism, the showcasing of real but not consequence-free human evil without going for all the bad language. Again, I think the bad language is too often a cheat uh, that sidesteps the consequences uh, rather than actually getting what you're going for, which is realism and stories. Yeah, I think back about 20 years ago, I was watching one of the uh, Matrix sequels with some Christian friends, some really, really good friends, just really on fire for Jesus kind of friends. And there's a character in that movie that uses God's name as, as a cuss word along with another cuss word multiple times. And I remember my friend Rebecca sitting next to me in this group of people and just, she just visibly got more and more uncomfortable. And finally she's like, "Ugh, can that guy cut that out? Like, can we stop that? Like, I think that's appropriate. Yeah. And I was like, you know, that's a good sign. Like if your conscience is pricked by hearing this kind of language, especially when it's God's name, that's a good sign. Back to the watch your life and doctrine closely. If you find yourself being desensitized to this, excusing it, you know, maybe you're not using that language, but eh, it doesn't really bother you to to hear that. That's fine. I I think that's a warning sign. I think that's one of those little uh, warning lights in your dashboard. It's like check engine light. You have to be careful of getting too comfortable with it or being too unbothered by it. Does that mean you should never read those books? Not necessarily, but you may need a break. And I like how you said, Stephen, that's why we promote Christian fiction on this podcast. We want to offer an alternative to what you, our listener, are reading or listening to as an audiobook. We want to promote really good fiction and, and most of it is pretty clean. It, you know, and we, in our reviews, we let you know Hey, there might be these elements that you want to discern, uh, but for the most part, it's just very wholesome stuff and it helps train those senses or retrain them. You know, I, I think about a period of time where I went without a television, kind of like John Piper. Uh, I was living overseas for a number of months, no TV, no, no Netflix, no nothing for a while. Obviously it was way before Netflix. And I remember coming back and turning on the TV and watching a movie and I'm like, whoa, I did not realize how much worldly stuff is packed into a 30 minute television show and in all the commercials. (laughs) And, you know, so just, uh, this was a mission trip I was on. And so again, just that very wholesome environment sort of recalibrated my sensitivities. And that's what we want to do with the books that we promote and that we review through Lorehaven is we want to give you, our listener, just a a great opportunity to kind of recalibrate. Perhaps you, faithful listener, disagree. If so, keep it clean when you email podcast at lorehaven.com to share your various thoughts. No vulgarities, no profanities, no blasphemies, uh, just good old-fashioned wholesome criticism is perfectly welcome there. Or you can use the feedback box of the website or tag us on the social media about this and other episodes. Yeah, what's your personal sensitivity about story violence or story cussing? Do you think that fighting is okay in books, but language is not, or vice versa? Uh, What traditions have you grown up with? Uh, How have you changed your views? Or in my case, 
kind of changed my views back <laughs> when I thought I was going to be a little bit closer to the edgelord perspective. Uh, I think Christ pulled me back from the brink there. Definitely send us your notes. And of course, you can share uh, your thoughts as well. If you're a guild hero, we have a lot of good discussions uh, more directly about the podcast episodes there. Definitely join the guild. As I mentioned earlier, you can subscribe free to get those updates. We're starting our next book quest uh, just this coming week as we wrap up uh, Frank Peretti's uh, supernatural novel, Illusion, where they're going to start with uh, Elijah David uh, being the quest guide through the science fiction recorder by Kathy McCrum. We've also got Realm Makers, uh, the uh, Christian-led uh, writers conference coming up uh, just in a matter of days, uh, July 13th through 15th in St. Louis. Free shout out there. We're going to have a news article about that at Lorehaven this week if it's not out already. As for what we already have, uh, last week we did the the shack uh, re, uh, deconstruction of the shack zone <laughs> deconstruction. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, we've got a book review coming out, though, uh, this week. Uh, I finally got to review uh, Chuck Black's uh, middle grade slash YA science fiction allegorical Nova, which kicks off his uh, Star Lord series. Uh, Star Lord book. series. Yeah, I already, uh, Spoiler, already finished that book. review. So it's coming up. <laughs> yeah, I actually got ahead of some reviews, uh, which is kind of fun. So articles have been a bit slow these days but that's okay it is summer uh, lots of people are busy uh and we'll announce our next podcast episode in just a moment as well uh as for the comm station yeah zach we had a lot of good discussions Did you see some about the uh about the shack we had a lot of good talks about that uh in the guild as well as on i saw it shared on a lot of social media platforms one of those topics that was a little uncertain yeah. about like is our audience too young to remember that and i'm like don't be so ancient it was just 2008 lots of people remember that yeah, I had a discussion about this on the Not the Bee, uh, the the Babylon Bee sister site, where where it's it's not the bee because it's crazy but true stories, and there is sort of a uh, social media network there, and boy, a lot of people commented on on this uh, podcast we did. Perhaps the most striking comment was, "How if it deconstructed doctrine is it a Christian novel?" <laughs> I just thought, man, how indeed, just mic drop comment right there so yeah it, it's uh, i again i i sort of was just not part of this whole discussion when that book came out i was i'd only read a couple of christian fiction titles around that time so i wasn't really into that that fiction world and someone said heresy then heresy now <laughs> so a lot of people had very strong feelings about this book and just did not appreciate it's just uh subversive attacks on on biblical faith well, a lot of people would say, and I believe this is a false or even heretical view about the Bible, that the Bible is not God's word, but it contains God's word. Similarly, you could say about the shack, is the shack heresy or does it merely contain heresy? I'm of the view that it contains heresy, but it is not altogether heresy. So that actually makes it more dangerous. Mm. You can sneak it into the Christian bookstore shelves by saying, well, there's some good stuff in there. Uh, you know, eat the meat, spit out the bones. And I'm like, there's a lot of bones in here. Um, can yeah. we just maybe have another fish dinner? Thanks. Uh, there's better books about uh, uh, how a good God could allow well, suffering. Well, and it really comes down to um, the author's intent. Yes, are they, the plurality are of authors. Yeah. Yes, yes. And where are they being led by their own tragic, yeah. unresolved backstories, which often ends up in the form of the uh, the self-insert character. So you can disagree with that creatively. Anyway, go check out that episode. We had a few comments about that in the guild. Pretty sure there is a copy of The Shack somewhere in the house, but I was never interested in reading it, mostly because I wasn't sure what genre it was supposed to be. And it seemed to lean devotional, which I tend to dislike. 
She says, I can understand now why the shack had such success. Even if it was poorly written, it sounds like it dealt with difficult topics in an unusual way. Another hero of the guild said, I've not seen the movie or read the book, so I probably shouldn't say much. I do have a big problem with the father being a woman and hence not a father. Uh, that was his quote. The reason why the book did that was, again, therapy. The whole idea is that God himself is the best therapist and uh, Mac needs therapy because he, of course, was abused as a child. And so he's got dad issues. Well, a lot of us got dad issues, and I don't mean to minimize that. But nonetheless, the true God of Scripture, knowing this risk, reveals himself as father. That is axiomatic. He uses male pronouns. Uh, he does present himself as that way. And that's how we ought to look at him. And of course, God is in, in Christ, the second person of the Trinity, literally to this day a man and all that that implies. He is not a shapeshifter. Uh, he, he doesn't uh, shed his corporeal form at the ascension. Jesus Christ to this day is a man. So it's not just identifying as a man. He's like literally a man assigned at birth and all of that. So uh, a shape-shifting God with female manifestations just gets way too close to, well, let's just call it uh, heresy. Uh, I think I would much prefer even a book with some cussing in it uh, than a book that messes uh, with the nature of God like that uh, because my therapy. Next on Fantastical Truth, I have no idea. Remember I mentioned earlier, it was the Realm Makers Conference. Realm Makers, uh, to great effect, tends to just kind of take over our Julys, Zach and I, and a whole lot of the Christian fan and, uh, and writer communities as well. And this is a good thing. But that means we're going to have some great stuff coming up. Guests in the works are circling the Fantastical Truth space station. Uh, Zach and I are going to bring our microphones to the conference and Lord willing, uh, talk to some of our author friends there, maybe stopping by the booth. If you're there, stop by, say hello and audition. There's only so much time we can get you on the podcast, but we'd love to talk with you at the Realm Makers Conference. Really appreciate you joining us for this topic as well. You may struggle with the cussing. You may even struggle with the violence. I think the most important thing to remember is the consequences. You can't use these words in real life. You cannot do violence in real life without consequence. Vengeance is the Lord's and any strong language I think is also his. However, we use that in real life or fiction. It ought to be for the purpose of glorifying Jesus and serving one another not just for the purpose of freedom for its own sake as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth. 